You're listening to the Break Free Podcast, where we show up, tell the truth, and do the work so that we can live God's best for our lives. Let's jump right in. April is National Financial Literacy Month, and the way we're celebrating that on the Break Free Podcast is by talking about unlocking your earning potential this year, revealing solopreneur traps that can block your money, and transforming ordinary people into billionaires. Today, we're joined by David Anderson, who is currently the chairman of Anderson Royal Industries, a diversified family office in the United States of America. Anderson Royal Industries' portfolio comprises over $107 million in assets, 400-plus employees across Africa, Asia, and the Americas. Previously, David served in the executive office of the president at the White House under the Obama administration. He was also the former vice president of global development at AAR Corp., which is a $2 billion aviation services firm. It was also listed as a Fortune 1000. David was also the international president of Keep Global, a Chinese green environmental products manufacturing and services firm with 6,000 employees and 16 locations worldwide. He was selected as a global shaper by the World Economic Forum. David actually started his career in investment banking at Goldman Sachs in New York and investment management at J.P. Morgan in Chicago. David, welcome to the Break Free Podcast. Hey, thank you. What is your earliest memory of being interested in economics? Wow, that's no one's ever asked me that question, actually. (laughs) Um, I I don't know if I had an early interest. I think I was thrust into it because, um, you know, my my dad came up from Mississippi. Um, He didn't have education, so... He was a janitor, and well, as he had hustles. Um, and one of the hustles I remember as early as seven, eight years old, uh, we would go to the secondhand store, thrift stores, and we would buy uh, used toys and suits. And he would bring those toys in. He would have me scrub them and clean them, like really clean them. Some of them we would repaint them, replaster them, all kind of stuff. And then we would buy these toys for a dollar, two dollars, and we would sell them on the street in Chicago uh, for $10, $20, um, as well as uh, suits. We would get suits for maybe a couple bucks, three to five bucks. He would uh, sew them up or make sure everything was good on them, take them to the cleaners for a couple dollars. But then, you know, say we were probably $10 all in, but we would sell those suits for $30, $40, $50. And so that's probably my earliest memories of economics, really hustling with my dad. You know, my dad had us going out early to hustle with them. Yeah. I love that. And so when you were coming back, you know, with that profit, was your dad explaining that to you or you were just picking it up from being with him? You know, I was just picking it up actually, but it's funny though. I never forget one that one time, you know, cause you know, again, my dad was a great man, hustled hard, did a lot, you know, him, my mom didn't work out because my mom was mentally ill with schizophrenia, but you know, um, one day he left, and he left me after the shop by myself. I had to be like maybe eight or nine, and we only did this on the weekend, so on Saturdays. And I ended up like making like nine, eight or nine hundred dollars. I never forget it because I ended up making like eight or nine hundred dollars, right? Amazing. By myself, <laughs> eight right. nine years old. I'm out there, you know, with adults like negotiating and bargaining prices. <laughs> That's amazing. So those are my earliest days of economics. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for the hustle because it does teach you, you know, everything is not given to you. You have to kind of create your way, you know? So, yeah. Let's talk about that, creating your way, because you've come a mighty long way from hustling suits. 
right? Yeah. On yeah. Saturdays. Yeah, right? for sure. <laughs> so let's 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 talk about that transition. So the, you know, your earliest memories of you know economics are with your dad hustling and flipping toys, flipping suits. How did that shift into you wanting to impact others and teach them about economics? I'm actually going through this right now. So I'm going to be very transparent with the audience and with people, right? When you start from scratch, you start from, when I say scratch, like really from the bottom, really poor. And and, and everyone has their definitions of what poor is, yeah. right? Depending on how you grew up, what was it? Um, but the reality is, was, again, both parents, no education, um, you know, very much blue collar jobs. My mom couldn't work because she was mentally uh, incapable after she had my brother. Um, you know, we we experienced some real American poverty in a sense, right? Like the working poor, but yet like didn't qualify for food stamps, but also couldn't really have enough for groceries. Like real working, working poor, you know? I feel that this, and, and for the audience, like for a lot of people, money, economics, wealth is a mystery. And the only reason it's a mystery is because someone has not properly translated in your context, what it actually is. Now, once you get an understanding of what it really is, now you have a choice. And that choice is that, do you do what it takes in order to create that for yourself? Or do you say, you know what? I'm going to pass. I'm, I, I like my life the way it is. I have no problems. But, but the fact that now you have a choice. And so what I want to give, particularly Black men, and people in the diaspora is a choice to decode many of these nuances, the lack of understanding, to decode it so you can choose. And you know what really what it really takes to scale or to create this thing. And it's different than you working a job. It's different than you hustling. It's different. All of that is great. But it takes a different type of thinking in order to do those type of things. And I think one of the things that I've seen is that um, is that there is a lack of knowledge and people perish because of lack of knowledge. Yes. They cast off restraint because of lack of knowledge, right? Um, you know, and then you look at, you know, I'm a big fan of the Proverbs, King Solomon, you know, get knowledge and then get wisdom. But in all you're getting, also get an understanding. And sometimes people just see that in maybe a religious context, but it has everything to do with everything, relationships, money, no, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah, because it connects to the mechanics of how something functions, right? And I love what you said. If you don't know the language, you're locked out the level. And that's something I had to learn as an entrepreneur. It's like, you know, on this level, you might understand what's happening. Then you get in another room. Then you have to jump up again because the language has changed. You jump up again. The language changes again. And so you're right. On my journey, there was nobody to really decode that. I had a relationship with God and God would lead me to different people. And I would meet them, whether it was in an Uber or, you know, at a coffee shop or whatever. And thank God for favor. But you know, I would have these conversations and it would begin to bridge the gap for me or lead me to a book or lead me to a podcast. And that language. You know what? Begin... You know what? I tell you right now, just on that conversation, you just actually gave me a whole session. I'm going to teach about levels and language, because this is a real thing. I always knew that language, obviously every industry has language. Yes. But I, I always knew that like, this is powerful because so what happened to me was that imagine, so I go through this thing, right? My parents get divorced at I'm 11, 12. I get moved around a whole lot. My dad halfway lost his mind because my mom had schizophrenia. This was back in the 80s, 90s, when mental health wasn't like, people didn't talk about mental health at all, right? 
And so here, my mom's schizophrenic. So I grew up with all of this. I'm coming out high school. I was pretty bright, decent, but went to college. But after my first year, my mom gets hit with leukemia, right? Wow. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I, I go back. My brother and sister are there. You know, it's a lot of animosity in the family. And I basically I take over the family at 19 years old. So I become a full man at 19, right? Doing homework, going to PTA meetings, like okay. my mom's appointments, I cancel appointments, I think all of it, right? Mm. And I start to read, and I read about 600 books over four years. And that's this is a true story. And I didn't realize what you just said, which for the audience is powerful, because I was reading books on doing business in China. I was doing business, I was reading biographies, I was reading books on wealth, reading books on politics, economics, social change, all kind of stuff. I was just reading everything I could because I wanted to self-educate myself. And what I realized is that the reason why my life changed, my language changed, right? Your life changes when your language changes. And that it goes beyond just positive affirmations. What you know is what you talk about. What you talk about is what you create. And what you create is the life that you live. Yes. You see what I'm saying? Yes. But that was a revelation in this conversation because it's true. That's essentially what happened to me. My language changed and therefore my life changed. And you know what? That's amazing, too, because when your language changes, people recognize that and you begin to attract different types of opportunities, right? It's like game recognized game. It's like, you speak in my language. It helps to connect those dots that you might need in your career. I love that. So, for instance, I own interest in uh, uh, Amazon and FedEx, right? But I'll, I'll talk about FedEx. So I, I, I run FedEx trucks, you know, a couple dozen of them, right? And it's funny that we were saying, like, you could choose. You could work for FedEx, right? So you could, you know, use FedEx as your, you know, supplier for whatever. You could work at FedEx, get a job, right? You could say, okay, well, I'm not going to work at FedEx only. I'm going to start, like, I'll be a contractor for FedEx. So you could own FedEx trucks, right? And be a contractor and deliver things for FedEx, right? You could then say, okay, Oh, I'm not going to own own you know stuff for FedEx. I'm going to actually get in their system and get a agreement and contract with FedEx. Or you can say, you know what, I'm going to take FedEx. FedEx is not in Singapore, and I'm going to expand FedEx over to Singapore. It's the same FedEx, but understanding a different type of language. Yep, levels. You see what I I'm love how I love how you just broke that down and use that example for our listeners because it just shows the spectrum as it relates to language. That's that's yes. perfect. I love yeah. that. Um, I got some more questions for you though. So we gotta, we gotta go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. This is good, good though. So, David, while watching the promotional video for your upcoming virtual event on April twenty second, one million black men. Twenty um, ninth now. We push back a week. You, okay. The, the All demand, right. April twenty ninth. So, yeah. Okay. Yep. April twenty ninth. Um, one million black men, David. In the video, it said that your gift is single handedly positioning everyday brothers to become global billionaires. How do you language your gift? Okay, so here it is, right? So I have, um, I have to say, I like what you say billionaires. Right now I'm working on millionaires, but what I realized was this. So I helped about 13 people uh, in my life get to the bag, right? Like a good bag. I have 13 people in my life at this point get to the bag. Um, and, and what I realized was that some of them were from the ground up. Some of them were like in a middle-class corporate some of them were like, you know, entrepreneurs who hadn't hadn't figured it out, and then they just needed some tweaks, and we got there. Um, what I realized was this: so if I took you, Ashley, 
and I took you to China. I worked in China, okay? And I sat you down with a, a Chinese billionaire. And a Chinese billionaire told you, as a foreigner, a Black woman, how you could win and make it in China. There's a lot of things that are very applicable. However, you are an American, a Black American woman going to China and so there will be nuances that are different. But if you sat down with a Black American woman in China, right, and then she gave you the game and gave you the nuances to the things that she learned by being in China, make sense? Yes. Now it's very applicable to you because you're going to go through similar things. Right. And so now you know how to navigate those things. Wow, the native Chinese, the native Chinese right? Remember, China's built for them, okay? China, the language, everything, the right. culture, the, the toilets, everything's built for them. Everything. Right? Because yeah. they're Chinese. They're in China. Yeah, right. I'm home with you. All right, wait, wait. Here, here it is. What I realized about America is I realized it in China. Was that in China, I mean, in America, we don't say it. We are a diverse nation. We are a nation of immigrants. We have all types of people. But see, America, and let's just be straight about it. America was not built for Indians, although they can participate. It wasn't built for them. Mm-hmm. America, although, you know, folks from Asia can participate, right? South Americans can participate, but it wasn't built for them. It was built for primarily the European and particularly the, the Anglo-Saxon. That, that, that is the truth of the matter, right? Yes. That's who the current system was built for. And so although we are American and we can participate as African-Americans, we help build it, right? Yep. Yep. And in many... Afro-Brazilians, right? Afro-Britons. I'm talking to all of them in the diaspora. Although we are native to it, because we were there, brought there, in many cases, we're still a foreigner. And so we have to understand the game and how it's set up and who it was built for. Now, for some people... Good. That's so that, good. That, for some people, that hurts their ego. And it's like, well, no, what you mean? But the reality... Look, this is the reality. When you go to other places in Europe... It looks just like America. Why? Because America took it from them, right? It's just a reality, okay? And so if, 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 if you don't take that in mind and say, okay, although I'm learning from these people, and that's why I stepped in, because I feel like there's a lot of people out there teaching principles, talking about stuff, and it's great, fantastic. I learned a lot from a lot of them. But the reality is when you're talking to a black man, particularly in America yeah. or in in an area where they're a minority, like Brazil or sure. or like, you know, wherever else, Britain, okay? The rules apply a little bit differently. And people don't want to say that. And it's okay. I don't have to scream racism. I don't have to scream right. prejudice. Like, look, if I'm I with- put you in China, the rules are going to apply a little bit differently Different. you. That's the truth. David, that's the truth. And if you don't understand and learn it, the game, you can't play. That's the bottom line. You can't play yeah. a game you don't understand the that's rules right. to. That's right. So right. I hear you. I hear you loud and clear. That was, I love how you're breaking this down. I know you all are enjoying this episode right now. You're tuning in. It's so good. So David, um, that was great. I get, uh, you answered my question. How are you languaging? You, you gave us a story. You gave us examples and brought us right back full circle into how you're languaging your gift and how you're using that gift, why you stepped in, as you said, um, to help black people. Okay. To help us win. So, um, 
Okay, so let's talk about that though a little bit deeper because you've had so much success with large companies. I started off working at Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, right. and then I worked at the White, and I did the White House. So those were like the three major corps, and then I did the kind of corporate America, corporate officers, senior level stuff. Um, so yeah, and then I, I was like, ah, I'm done with this. Let me go ahead and just make this real bag. Okay, <laughs> okay, got it. So understanding that though, all of the different experiences that you've had. Um, I know from being on both sides of being in the boardroom and then being, you know, on the street level, there's a yeah. gap. There's a, Woo! there is a, the gap is wide. Okay. Woo! So when you, and then I'm also in church, that gap is, that's a different gap. Right. So you got, <laughs> I'm just saying, right. I'm Culture, environment, what it's built for, who's using it, et cetera. All of these yeah. are different worlds, yeah. different languages. How are you taking your knowledge base that's worked so well for these massive organizations and you personally, yeah. how do you bridge that gap? What are you teaching? What are you saying? What kind of environment, what products are you creating? Just give us a little insight of how you're doing that because it's great that you're doing it. We need you to do it. And we need you to hit, get all 1 million of these black men there. But then what about the 1 million black women? And it's the more men after that. Yeah. We yeah, need sure, more people sure, to sure. understand that. Sure, 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 sure. So, right? so decode that so they can help other people. So, so, so first off, I want you to know the goal is one million. I'm very conscious of the fact that I feel like this is also a calling for me, uh, for many different reasons. But that's another story, right? Okay, sure. Um, here, here it is. The blessing of my life was that I was raised in technically like the street, right? And when you're raised in the street. And then you go to the boardroom and then you go around the world and you see the hood that exists in every place around the world. You all of a sudden, you see trends and patterns. I told somebody the benefit of reading so many books at one time in one period was that you start to recognize patterns. Right. I'm trends. smiling because that's one of my favorite things. My team will tell you, I say all the time, trends and patterns, trends yes. and patterns. Yes. Yeah. And trends and patterns give you predictability of what is and and you know yes. like the the whole thing of success. Absolutely. So 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 here it is, right? How do you bridge the gap? So what I can tell the person. So I, I want to speak to three people. I want to talk to the person still on the street, okay. right? Per se, the ground level, the person that's in the corporate suite boardroom, and then we'll talk to the entrepreneur and how they all work together. So the person on the street, here's your advantage. Ready for this? Yes, I'm ready. Your advantage is that when you're on the street level, everything is what I call raw, meaning that people are very straight with you. Like it is, it's very transactional. Like it's, it's very, it's very much the rawest level of which you deal with humanity, right? Like you know, when you're selling a hot dog, right? Like people say hot dog, right? We got a good hot dog. Well, I'll give you another hot dog. You know, it's very much transactional, but it's raw. The emotion, the people. It's very much, it's bartering. It's very intense. So that's your advantage is that you're actually in an environment where you have to learn how to deal with people. Like you have to learn people, right? The disadvantage is that it's very hard to scale because you're dealing with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Okay, right? The, for those in the boardroom in the corporate suite or the vice president, the middle manager, whatever the case is, your advantage is that you understand systems, okay? Good, yes. You, you understand systems, you understand large organization, 
you understand presentation and you understand politics. However, the, the, the downsides of that is that when you're not in that system, when you're not, because you've learned how to things operate so in the good. system, when you're not in there, right? So and you good. have to go back to the street. It's, 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 you're, you're, you're trying to create the structure organization for yourself, but that's not, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta kind of what I call deprogram a little bit. And you gotta go back to that one-on-one street fight, that transactional level, right? With knowing, understanding the system. Okay. Right. Yep. And so, so the gap that exists is that it's understanding the presentation, the politics, but still understanding how to street fight. If you don't marry both in your entrepreneurial journey or in your wealth journey, right? Yep. You're gonna come across. Let me I'm gonna say something. Your money cannot protect you from the street fight. And this guess what? Your your being being in the uh on the ground level and on the street, it cannot protect you from understanding the politics and the corporate. So you gotta learn to bridge both. Whether you learn it from learning from people whether you read the information or you just yep. get the raw experience, right? You're yep. the most qualified at the table and you're trying to get this major contract from a major corporation and they pass you up and they don't tell you why. And you got to figure out, okay, I have to have a different presentation when I go after these hundred million or multi-million dollar deals. Yes. You do have to go back to that. And I, I would even say like, Yes, you're you're you marry the two, but even as you grow in business, it's a dance. Because sometimes yes. the street fight has to lead and sometimes That's the river right. has to lead. And, <laughs> and if you don't if you don't change your step when that rhythm changes, you'll miss it. You'll miss you your miss move. You miss it big time. Okay. So you and that it. and that kind of goes into I feel like the only well for me in my own journey, the only thing that can help you with that is being sensitive, right? Sensitive to Holy Spirit, sensitive to what God is saying, right? You have to know yeah. Like you said, too much street fight, you you don't get the contract. Well, well, yeah, I, I gotta tell you something. When, when I left the boardroom stuff and I got back to the street, man, I really, I really went street. I, I had my moment, then I said, okay, David, let go me go right, back. Down. Let, let me put on the suits. Let me talk with the vernacular. Let me make sure they understand that the reason why they are to make sure they look at our proposal is because the vicissitudes in which we are presenting, right, sure. is, and that they're going to uh, experience an economic downturn and if they don't take a uh, serious look right at what we have to offer it's going to affect their bottom line I, I you know i had to go back to it instead of just saying look man like we're the best out there so you know you got to do what to do let's make it happen right i had right you know, I had to get back switch to it up language. yes language <laughs> right language oh yes yes that's yes. so good i love it i love the examples so David, though, you're bridging that gap with that information. You're doing that through this event. Are there other ways or other programs, initiatives of how you're helping one million black men? Yeah, I mean, down the road, I'll just give a precursor. We are looking on a, doing a, uh, a rites of passage uh, thing for where it would, that would include women and obviously their sons and everyone else. Um, you know, right now, I, I feel very much a calling to, you know, deal with men right now. I, I, I think that uh, my men, um, right now, I think there is a, um, with all due respect, I think there has been male privilege for very long. And I think there's a lot of programs right now out there for women to tie into things to tie into and stuff like that. But I do think that 
you know, given the, you know, the prison industrial complex, sure. given all the nuances that's happened to black men over yeah. the last 20 years, um, really giving good information coming from another black man to say, hey, yes. look, here's the game. Here's part of the challenges. Here are some of the things. And here's some of the realities. One thing we're coming out with will be the uh, black male or uh, black man uh, success index. And the purpose of that is that we're going to get feedback and surveys from people of what industries do we see less uh, barrier, right? What spaces are we succeeding in? What industries uh, can we trailblaze? Like what spaces are we not represented? I love it. And so um, we're going to get that feedback from people who participate as well. Again, we're going to create this black male success index where we will really be able to see, like, so I, I, I can tell black men, hey, look, if you want to go, I'm just speaking hypothetically here, you want to go into mining, right? Like, okay, based on the data we have, what we're looking at, like, okay, you can get into mining. It's better off for you probably to go do it in Africa. Right. Um, and probably do it in independently because, you know, the French or the Germans, they don't really, like, unless sure. you work at a corporation, but based on the feedback that we have. So when you're able to give people guidebooks and help them avoid pitfalls, half of entrepreneurs, I tell people all the time, like, even I'm going to have my own kind of programs and help lead guide people. I may do a little bit of coaching. It'll be very small, very select, because I don't have time like that. I run a lot of businesses. But, you know, I tell people all the time, when people, even in the past, when they've worked with me and I've gotten equity in a company or something like that, I say, look, the reality is that what, what I'm going to tell you is going to seem very simple. You're going to have an aha moment. But understand, I've been doing this game for 20 years. So, although it's coming out in one sentence, there's probably years of mistakes, right? It, it's, it's, I paid the price. As well as I've made millions, I have lost millions, right? I've had people steal a million dollars from me. Yep. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, so, so That's when real. you, so there's nuances to this. So when I'm giving you, right, is, is valuable because I'm helping you avoid pitfalls. Like you don't feel it, but I'm helping you avoid those things before it hits. It's going to save you money because like, I'm giving you the heads up. I'm, I'm, I, I never get my first mentor, and, I, and I'll digress on this point. I was coming out, and I was doing some things, and he was like, David, dude, that's a waste of time. They ain't going to help you. And I was like, what? He said, yeah, man, look, that's a waste of time. They ain't going to help you. I said, no, no, I mean, whatever. I'm having good conversations, good networking, doing all this stuff, blah, 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 all this stuff. Oh, I know all these people. And then I looked up and went like, wait, that didn't put no money in my pocket, though. Like what I had to learn early on in, 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 in business entrepreneurship, when you're getting the bag, again, it's different once you have the bag. When you're getting the bag, okay, you have to focus and you have to understand being popular and knowing people does not necessarily mean money. Yep, that's so true. I say it all, it's very true. <laughs> Two being words. popular and knowing people does not mean money. It can, but it doesn't always mean that. That's and right. I think it that's can. where you're right. It can. But in my in my experience, when you're getting the bag, not when you already have it. See, when you already have it, knowing people, like I'm on the investor side, mm -hmm. knowing people means deal flow for me. So once you have money, guess what? People want you to support their projects. They right. want you to invest, whatever it is. So I'm constantly shifting through deals because I have money now to give to deals and to invest. Right. But when you are on the accumulation side, there's three phases to wealth. There's accumulation, okay? There's uh, diversification, and then there's preservation. Accumulation, diversification, 
preservation. When you are on the accumulation side, right, you have to focus in order to get the nickels, get the dollars. You have to build it up. You have to go up, 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 up. Once you get up, now you diversify. Now you diversify. And then once you diversify, now you're into preservation. Meaning that once I have $10 million, right, I don't need to make 100%. I need to make 5%. Because right. 5% means I make 500000 You're setting black men up for success. That's what the index is going to do. And you're doing that in more ways than one. And, you know, success, we, we talk about that often. But we know that with success comes extreme sacrifice, right? Yeah. Every level of success, there's some type of sacrifice happening. Can you talk about that a little bit, David, as it relates to how you've, what you've had to give up to continue to go up and to have that success and maintain it financially and just yeah. as a leader, as a businessman. You know, there is a sacrifice, right? Because you, like, you have to be a leader, but you're still trying to be relatable to the people in your life. And so that's, a, and, and that's a tough thing, you know? Um, and then you, the sacrifice of people then once you're successful, you know, people don't see, once you're successful, and anyone successful will tell you this, I'm being asked of things probably four, five, six times a day. But everyone that asks me, in their mind, they're the only person that's asking. Right? So I'm dealing with 30 requests a week of ask. Like, let's say, of whatever, right? But in their mind, because in their life, they don't get asked things as often, right? Or whatever the case may be. So in their mind, it's like, well, if I'm asking you, your life reflects my life, right? Like, you're not being asked for $10,000, like, six, seven, eight times a week. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so they look at it from a view of, and it's okay. It's just their point of view. They look at it from a view of like, man, like, like, you know, am I not important? And it's not that. It's that, you know, that when you when you succeed, because success is so, in many ways, is so rare, because it's so ambiguous to people, right? They expect more. And you know what? It goes back to the, the verse that says, to whom much is given, much is also required. Thank you for sharing that. David, you are the Amazon category top 100 and best-selling author of The Delusion of Passion. Why millennials struggle to find success. Um, I'm certain some millennials are listening right now. Why should they grab a copy of your book? I mean, that book, I wrote that because I think that a lot of people for a long time was like, I don't know what to do because I don't know what my passion is or I'm not doing it if I'm not passionate about it. And I'm going to speak to men about this especially, but at the end of the day, right? Uh, being successful, being great at what you what you what you do, is not a matter of passion. It's a matter of doing it over and over again and getting good at it. But most people, it's a journey. It's a journey, right? And not to do something over again and you're good at it, you'd be shocked. You're passionate about it. Look, I wasn't passionate about business. I wasn't. I wasn't passionate about investment banking. But what happened was that I started to get exposed to it. I learned it. I enjoy making money. I enjoy the part of it. I enjoy it. And all of a sudden, it's like, I love deal making. I love it. I can, I am going to do this. I am never retiring. I am doing this for the rest of my <laughs> life. I will be 80 years old sitting down I'm talking about doing it. <laughs> Let's make a deal. What's the deal? Let's go. <laughs> I love it. I do want to yeah. ask you for um, your experience at the White House. What was that like? Any memorable moments that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I would say, look, I, I was there at the time when Obama was first elected. Being a young black man, it was very inspiring having a you know black man leading the free world. Um, what I will say is this, and many people don't 
think about that. I, I want to share this insight about Obama that a lot of people should know about holding on to a dream of vision. But Obama knew he wanted to be president very early uh, in his life. It's very evident. He, he's even talked about it. But not, not be president. He knew he wanted to be like a political leader. And you got to understand, Obama, you know, went to, so imagine a guy, right, goes to Harvard and goes to Columbia, Ivy League guy, you know, actually went to uh, Harvard later in life because he was like 27, 28. But he was a little bit older than most of the law students um, after doing his community mm -hmm. organizing in Chicago. And imagine you're 37, 38, 39 years old. So he's about, you know, roughly late 30s, early 40s, around my age. And I believe degrees, everything else. He makes all but $70,000 a year. And he has a bunch of debt, student loan debt. And then he's in campaign debt because he lost to Bobby Rush. And your wife, you know, is at University of Chicago. She's making six figures. Uh, you have a house. But for the most part, she's carrying the weight of the household from a financial point of view. Mm -hmm. And I tell people, this was Obama. Like, he was 38, 39. A lot of women, they look at him now and they go, all oh, this stuff. And I I'm like, dude, like, I mean, he had great credentials, but mm -hmm. he it wasn't like, he wasn't rolling in no dough now. He mm -hmm. wasn't, you know, right? Even Michelle, she talks about it. She was like, dude, you yeah. don't win this election. You're going to get a job, bro. Like, you right. got whatever. <laughs> right. But imagine no. holding on to your dream that deeply and that tough to the fact you become U.S. senator. Hold on. You become U.S. senator kind of off of a fluke that happened in Illinois at the time, right? Yeah. And two years in, you go you go to your wife and say, honey, I know I make 170000 a year now. Right. And I know I'm a U.S. senator, <laughs> whatever it is. Babe, we got to run for president. She's like, wait, what? What? <laughs> what? Right, you need a job. <laughs> He's like, I know, but but the vision, the vision is is the White House. And you power. go up against the Clintons. That's the power of vision. Power, vision is powerful. That's what I learned. And and, and so that, you know, again, that's his story. Being at the White House is a whole ball of like, you know, the, the nuances of the White House. But man, that was that was powerful, G. And to be around that man to see, like, yo, that dude, that dude held on to a vision for real. So with that, I'll digress. But you know, um, I love it. I want to encourage everyone, please, any men in all your life, please go to one million, the number one, one million blackmen.com, one million dot blackmen.com. And we're gonna have an amazing event. We're gonna give away a lot of free wealth, practical stuff to make money today. Um, and then, you know, we're gonna after that, we're gonna keep going. We're probably gonna do something on Juneteenth. You know, I plan to do this. We're going to do this a couple times a year. We're going to build it up for black men around the world. So I love yeah. that. Um, David is on a mission to help one million black men move into seven generations of unshakable wealth. David, it's been a pleasure having you on the Break Free Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoy the Break Free Podcast and want to stay connected to Ashley, subscribe to her email list by going to theashleywinston.com and receive the number one secret to overcoming obstacles and creating a life you love for free. Within this secret, you'll discover many keys to advancing your personal and professional goals and enjoy gaining the clarity that moves you forward at warp speed. Become a part of the Break Free family by signing up today and getting the inspiration you need to reach your next level of unstoppable. Stay up to date with Ashley's latest episodes and be the first to know about new offers, products, services, and events. Simply visit theashleywinston.com 